love you, Jesus. Amen. God is so good. He's worthy of all of our praise. Amen. As you turn with me this evening, thank you, singers and musicians. We're going to go to the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5, we will begin with. Let me say while you're turning, thank you for being in the house of the Lord on a Monday evening. Amen. I'm glad God isn't subject to the days of the week. All he needs is two or three that want to move with the Holy Ghost, and God will move. Amen. If you weren't here last night, we had a tremendous, tremendous time. How many enjoyed last night's service? Wasn't it wonderful? I cannot say enough good about our surge team, our kids, everybody that was involved. God just blessed this place last night. And I was, I was just one proud pastor at everybody that pitched in, and it, it was just top, top shelf all the way. Let me remind you, just joining in with Brother Brandon, that we do have our sign-up sheets in the foyer for our 12-hour prayer chain. This will be going on every Saturday, the month of July. Now, I would encourage you, between now and the next 45 minutes, now don't leave while I'm preaching, but before you leave, let's hit that first Saturday, which is this Saturday. There's, there's some spaces open. Let's focus on filling that one, and then we'll go from there. We do have a lot of names, but let's, let's make sure we fill all those spots um, for this weekend. Prayer is what brings revival. And, and we've got some great momentum going in this church. And I want you to be in prayer that God would draw people as well as draw you. Just to give you something to look forward to, and you can make adequate preparations, and, and I'll fill you on more details as it gets closer. We have yet to go into revival since I've been here. We've been having great moves of God. But we have yet to go into revival, but that's going to change in August. And, and it might involve some off nights. It might involve some Sunday mornings. But I just know that there's a bunch of people here that want to have a move of the Holy Ghost. So unless something changes, we're scheduled to start revival on the first Sunday of August which will be the day after we get back from Youth Congress. And that will just be that Sunday night and Monday night and Wednesday night. Now, I know we're going we're gonna to remind you as it gets closer. And I know if you already have plans to go out of town and vacation, I'm not trying to get you to cancel everything. But if you're here and you're looking for something to do, we're going to have revival. Okay? Amen. It's going to be a great time. God's going to do great things I had a gentleman scheduled since January, felt it to start in August, and another gentleman came to my mind for several months on my heart, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, then the first guy canceled, and I said, well, I know what to do. So it's going to be a great time, and I just wanted to give you a heads up so you can begin to pray that way and prepare that way. God's going to do great things. Verse number 5, 1 Corinthians 16. And I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. 
And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Verse number 9 says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. A great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. I want to preach tonight for a little while signs of revival. Signs of revival. Would you lift your hands toward heaven one more time? Let's ask the Lord to bless the remainder of this service. Father, we thank you for your spirit that we feel. We thank you, Lord, for every heart that's in this place tonight. I pray, God, that we would open ourselves to the word of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, that you would have your way and that you would minister and that you would move in this place. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do, and we clap our hands unto you, Lord, this evening and give you praise and honor and glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated this evening. Signs of revival. It doesn't take someone super spiritual to figure out that the landscape of our world has changed drastically in 20 or 30 years. Just in my lifetime, 35 years, things have, have accelerated at an alarming rate. Many, many today can agree with me that the day that you grew up in has, is days gone by. The times that you remember as a child are probably not going to return. We only fool ourselves if we think that the world is going to get better. If you've read this book at all, it gives us a heads up that the world's not going to get better. The world is only going to get worse. The church was never designed to change the world. The church was designed to save the world. The church, as powerful as it is, it's God's church. It will not change what God has already dictated is going to happen to the world. It, I don't care if you fast till your belly button falls off. You will not stop the destruction of the world. It's going to happen. In fact, if you study Abraham and Lot, Abraham did not change the outcome of Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know what he prayed? Lord, save them. Destruction, God already said, hey, I'm destroying it. So Abraham could not change the outcome. But he did pray that they would be saved. And you know the story that God spared Lot and his two daughters and would have spared Lot's wife had she not looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah. The church is not going to change the world. But can I tell you today that we do have the ability as the church of the living God to pull people out of the flames, to pull people out of their mess. We have the power to change or to reach people that, that, that their destiny can be changed because of the church. 
We often say that perilous times shall come, but can I rephrase that to you today? Perilous times are here. Perilous times. Wickedness abounds. Unrighteousness is everywhere. It is rampant. Corruption and chaos is everywhere you look. But in the midst of all of the bad, God said, I'm going to have something that represents good. I'm going to put the remnant of grace. I'm going to put people bathed in my blood. I feel like preaching to someone tonight that you're not just a part of an organization, but you're a member of the church of the living God. He said, upon this rock... I'll build my church. It's not man's church. It's God's church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Hey, listen to me, friend. If the if hell can't destroy the church, then the president can't destroy the church. Government can't destroy the church. Schools can't destroy the church. It's God's church. It's a saving church. It's a loving church. It's a reaching church. It's a powerful church. When people come through those doors, let it not be said that they walked into another religious organization. But when they walk through our doors, I want goosebumps to have goosebumps. I want hair to stand up on their neck because I want them to know that they're feeling something that you can't get out in the world. I want them to know that they're feeling something that alcohol can't do, that drugs can't do. But this is the power of God. Clap your hands under the Lord. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. And the world is at its worst. It's reaching places that it would make our, our forefathers in the faith tremble. Paul would be shivering right now if he could see what's unfolding. All part of the prophetic plan. God's church consists of people. Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with God's church. There's nothing wrong with it. God's going to have a church. But we have to understand and remember that God's church is made up of people. And none of us are perfect. I, I find comfort when I read the Word of God and I see all their problems. Because it lets me know that I'm not in this boat alone. I, I just got a feeling. And I'm not one of these that only preaches love and grace and doesn't preach the totality of the Word. You've already know, you, you know that about me. But I do know this. I do, I do believe that we will be shocked at how much mercy has been extended towards people when we get to heaven. People that we, if we were the one writing in the book, we'd have put a big sharpie across some people. But thank God we're not holding the sharpie. Thank God it's not our book. But it's a God who is just and perfect and he knows the heart of men. People are people. There's times that the church... When I'm saying the church, I'm not talking about what God, God's hand. I'm talking about the, the human aspect of the church. There's times that we're not always functioning on all cylinders. 
There's times that we're not running at peak performance. Not because there's anything wrong with the church, but because the church is made up of people. And we have to understand this, and we have to have an awareness of this. I've said it before, and I'll repeat it tonight. The, a, 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 a ship in the water is a beautiful thing, but water in the ship is deadly. And the church in the world is a beautiful thing, but the world in the church is deadly. And we have to, at times, we have to do inventory in ourselves and see if we're, if we're operating as good as we can operate. Revival and evangelism are closely linked but should not be confused. Revival is an experience in the church. Evangelism is an expression of the church. If the experience and the condition of the church is not right, then the expression of the church is not right. Evangelism is a byproduct of a healthy relationship between a mother and a father. Jesus being the father and the church being the mother. When the relationship is good, sons and daughters will be born. You can look at a relationship in the flesh and there is a, a parallel that can be drawn. The byproduct of a proper relationship is be fruitful and multiply. And so a lot of people won't ev want evangelism, but they don't want revival. They want a bunch of people to come in the church, but they don't want to make sure that the church is operating like it needs to operate. Now, when I was an evangelist, I was not one of these people that came in and prayed 100 people through. In fact, I preached revivals and nobody, nobody knew came in. And when I first started preaching or evangelizing, it, I beat myself up because it wasn't that I didn't want people to pray through. I wanted to pray a bunch of people through. But you know what I figured out? This might blow your mind, okay? You ready? You're going to think about this. You cannot have 50 get the Holy Ghost if only five are there that need it. And I would show up and I'd want people to get the Holy Ghost and there was nobody there knew that needed the Holy Ghost. So you're not going to pray 50 people through if everybody's got the Holy Ghost. But you know where God put me on the field for seven years for? It's because I would go in and I was a revivalist. I was not necessarily an evangelist. I would dig up and root up and uncover things that were hindering people's walk with God. I was there for revival, to bring fresh wind to the church, to uncover things that needed to be dealt with that was hindering people's relationships with God. And that, that because we are people, it necessitates times in our walk with God where God does a little surgery on us and God starts showing us areas that we can improve. You've got to have revival personally before you have evangelism corporately. Then let me say this. Everybody, oh, we want 100 soul revival. The average church can only disciple about five to seven people at a time. I'm talking about really disciple them like they need to be discipled. I know of one man 
God gave him a hundred. He'd been praying for a hundred soul revival for a long time. And God gave it to him. Somebody asked him a long time or a while later how it was going. You know what he said? He said, well, I'll just say it like this. Next time I pray for it, I'll ask that God sends them one at a time. If we had 100 people pray through today, our church couldn't handle it. Can't handle it. The many, many will stop, will, will fall through the cracks because it is, it is work to really ground people and love people. But you know what? When mama is healthy, then we have a greater capacity to bring babies into the church and to love people. So it takes time. There are times that God will revive the church. I preached for a gentleman one time who was having a hard time breathing. And he told me the story. It was so gradual that he didn't realize something was wrong until one day he really couldn't breathe very good at all. So he went to the, to the doctor. They put him in the hospital. And one of his lungs collapsed because so much fluid had built up and it collapsed one of those lungs. And they drained, I don't know, over a liter of fluid. I know it was at least one liter, but it might be more than a liter. They drained that much off of his, around from his lungs and his heart and all that stuff. And they told him, they said, sir... The most painful part is not taking the fluid off. But the most painful part is when your lung, your lung goes to reinflate. So you're going to cough and you're going to think you're dying. And he said, you know what? They took that fluid off. And he said, all of a sudden, I went to hacking. I went to coughing. He said, at least 10 minutes, he said it was unbelievable pain while that lung was trying to open back up. He said, but all of a sudden, instantaneously, I caught my breath. And he said, I, was breath I didn't realize how bad my breathing was until it was right. And I got to thinking, that's a whole lot what, like what happens in revival. Slowly, things start creeping into our lives and things start happening. We don't realize the effect that it's having on us. But all of a sudden, an evangelist will come through, start dealing with things and, 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 and showing you areas that you can improve. And when you get it right, it's painful going through it. But when you get it right, you realize you're a whole lot better after God helps you. We need revival. On a personal level, everybody needs to be revived. A lot of churches are like the Valley of Dry Bones. Bone to bone, Ezekiel prophesied, bone to bone, then sinew. They looked the part, but they lacked what mattered the most, and that was the spirit, the life. And so he prophesied to the wind, and the spirit began to blow into their, into their beings. That's what happens in revival, is God begins to blow into the lifeless. God begins to bring the spirit back into people that were cold in their heart. I've, I've literally walked into churches, and it felt like I was in a freezer. They were so cold. It was so hard. I'm thinking, y'all want me to bring revival in a suitcase and pray a bunch of people through. But everybody in those pews needed the Holy Ghost again. I, I've been to churches that, uh, and I'm not even going to name names, but they're the who's who. It's in another state. 
I mean, they're rocking. They got hundreds of people. And I preached one service, and I knew I would never be back. I walked in that prayer room, and there was three or four people, and the church ran over three to 400. And I thought right there while I was kneeling on the floor praying, I said, Lord, they're not going to have revival. Because you can you cannot build a church around music. You cannot build a church around a personality. Because when the music's gone and the personality's gone, let me tell you what happens. The people are gone. But if you get people locked in with Jesus, you get people having experience with God. It don't matter who's in the pulpit. It doesn't matter who's singing. They're going to have revival. They're going to have a relationship with God. Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16 and 8, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Remember this, with every new level, you'll hit a new devil. As God opens up more doors and tries to bring you personally and corporately into a new dimension, you're going to start seeing things that pop up that you've never seen before. I've been in churches, and I knew what was happening. Everybody, pastor's like, brother, I don't know what in the world. People are going crazy. I know what's happening. We stirred some junk up. We stirred people up. We stirred devils up. When things start happening like that, People think, oh, we're doing something wrong. No, you're doing something right. Because the enemy only fights that which he fears. If he's not fearful of it, he's not going to fight it. Paul said, there's a door. There's an opportunity I have. I've noticed in my travels, when God begins to bring people through that door of revival, there's some signs that I've always noticed. And I want to share them with you tonight. First sign, when God's really reviving His church, is we begin to put God's kingdom above our own kingdom. Scripture is very clear that God is a jealous God. You read the Old Testament, you'll find when Israel started turning away and and, and making God's out of man-made material, that it always brought the wrath of God onto his people because he's a jealous God. And I know people say, oh, I would never go make something, make a God out of material. Well, there are things that you put your time to that are made by man's hands, and they don't look like a God on a totem pole, but it's still something made by man's hands that has your affection. And it has your attention. It has your desire. Pride. Pride puts I first. And whether you realize it or not, it's easy for our time to gravitate away from God's kingdom and we start working on our own kingdom. I read a book one time by Brady Boyd. And it's the title of the book, and I would recommend it to if you like reading. If you don't like reading, get the audio book. It's called Addicted to Busy. Let me give you an acronym for busy. Being under Satan's yoke. Because if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. But this is what he said. We struggle to tithe because it costs us money. We struggle to pray because it costs us time. 
We struggle to fast because it cost us focus. And we struggle to do anything costly for God if we aren't sure that we'll be recognized for it somehow. That hit me like a ton of bricks because we have to get past this mindset that we want attention down here. Because there's a lot of things. Scripture says that judgment, some people will be judged down here and the rest of their judgment will follow up there. And some people will be rewarded down here and others rewarded over there. There's no way we have the ability to know everything every person's done for the kingdom of God in this building. It's impossible. There's no way. But some people only do things because they want to be seen by people. I hate to put it that blunt, but that's just the reality of it. But you got to get to the point where you realize and come to the understanding that I'm not doing it to be seen by man. I'm doing it to be pleasing to the Lord. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about being pleasing unto the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, they were having revival. The Bible says all that believed were together and had all things common. There was a spirit of unity that prevailed. There was a spirit of unity that took over. Listen to me. Unity does not equal agreement. You can be unified without agreeing. Some people think, well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. That's not being a hypocrite. That's being mature enough to recognize the fact that there's no way this many people can all agree on the same thing, but we can all have the same purpose, and that is revival. That is reaching souls. That's putting personal differences aside and, and recognizing that there's something greater that we're reaching for. There's a hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, it don't matter what color the carpet is. See, I wasn't going to do that paint color thing again. I already messed up. It don't matter what color the carpet is. Don't matter. What matters is who was affected for eternity. So as, as we grow in revival and God stirs our heart, we start putting his kingdom. That's why scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. The church is not made up of people that are better than the rest. But of people trying to be better than they once were. We're not better than anybody. The only person I've got to be better than was who I was yesterday. I'm not better than anybody sitting on these pews. I'm not better than the man who's, who's ran into bad luck and he's living in a vehicle on the side of the road. I'm not better than any of them. I can't control your life and I can't control their life. But you know who I can control? I can control my life. And I should be striving every day to be better than I was last week and last month. It ought not be that some people are just living their life in a revolving door spiritually. The problem with a circle is you never make progress. And the scenery never changes. There has to be progress in living for God. The second sign, I'm hurrying. The second sign, our weakness 
becomes more obvious than our strengths. This is, this is a tough pill to swallow for some people. Because we are conditioned to highlight our strengths and hide our weaknesses. That's just how our brains are wired. We want to accentuate what we're good at. But we don't even want to bring to the surface that which we're bad at. We see ourselves, we try to see ourselves through everything that we've done right. And we try to hide everything that we've done wrong. Adam and Eve did the same thing. They still met with God, but when they met with him, they tried to cover up that which they knew was wrong. But when revival starts happening, you know what starts happening? Those fig leaves get pulled off. And that which you try to hide is exposed. You know the beauty of bringing in somebody that doesn't know anybody? It's because they could pray and God can speak to them and they can preach it and nobody told them anything except God. I can't tell you how many times I went to prayer and God told me what to preach and I was like, Lord, this don't make any sense. But I preached it. Only to have the pastor come to me afterwards and say, Brother, you have no idea what's happening in the church right now. And I'd say, I don't want to know. I, I had a policy when I was evangelizing, and I have the same policy when I'm pastor. I don't want to know anything going on in the church when I, when I well, as a pastor, I can't, can't avoid that. But as an evangelist, I could. I would come in late. And I'd leave, I'd try to leave as soon as I was done preaching and go to the pastor's office or something. Because if I went to the pulpit with a word from the Lord, it had to be a word from the Lord and not the Lord, Nancy, and Joe. And I had a little rule. If somebody ever told me anything, I never said it from the pulpit. Because it was never going to be accused of me that I was using the pulpit to say some public knowledge. When I bring somebody in here, they don't know anything going on with the church. So if you, if you ever hear anything and you, and you say, I wonder if he told somebody so-and-so, I'm going to tell you now. I didn't tell them. God told them. There is a five-fold ministry for a reason. It's because God can speak to people, and they come and operate in the Spirit and speak the Word of the Lord. I, you, you have to, let me say it like this. When we pray, God, make me more like you, we have to be able to receive how he makes us more like him. I, I heard the story one time of a pastor who went through a real bad deal in his church and somebody very close to him betrayed him. And he was weeping and praying and crying out to God one day. And he said, the pain of betrayal was so hard. And he was praying. He said, Lord, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this? And the Lord spoke to him and said, didn't you pray, God, make me more like you? And he said, yes, sir, I did. He said, you've never been more like me than when you've been betrayed. If we're going to pray, God, make us like you, we have to be willing to accept how God makes us like him. I know of a man who told me one day, he was on the verge of having an affair. Thank God he did not go full-blown into it. It was 
exposed before he got headlong into it. And his marriage was able to be salvaged and still married today, thank the Lord. But he, it was rough. It was rough. It was rough. But he told me afterwards. He said, you know, he said, I look back and I'd be pr I had been praying, asking God to make me more like him and draw me closer to him. He said, I just didn't realize it was going to take exposing this in my life to make me more like him. See, we want to be more like Christ and still keep our fig leaves. But the fig leaves is what separated them from Christ. And when God's trying to revive you, he'll probably uncover some things that you've been trying to hide with fig leaves. But if you want to be more like Christ, you have to be willing to get rid of the fig leaves. Thirdly, opposition is recognized by the church as opportunity. If you read Acts chapter 12, Herod tried to stop the church. He killed James and he imprisoned Peter. But if you read, there was a church that recognized that opposition as opportunity. And the Bible says that they were there praying and seeking God on behalf of Peter. And there Peter began to knock and Rhoda went and opened the door. Understand that just because opposition arises in the church doesn't mean that we hit a brick wall and we can't go any further. But what, it has to, what has to take place in a church is that there has to be a spiritual maturity in place that understands we can get through this opposition and we can embrace the opportunity that Christ is trying to give us. Just because stuff starts happening doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. It means we're doing something right. But far too often people start thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? What's going on? Let me tell you, the greater the fight, the greater the victory. The spirit world existed before the physical world. And after the physical world, you know what's going to exist? The spirit world. And Every time I pray, you know what, I, 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 I plead the blood over this spiritual jurisdiction. Just like in the flesh, we have a governmental system. We have, a, we have president. We have governors. We have mayors. It's a mirror of the spirit world. The spirit has ranks in their kingdom. The, the kingdom of darkness has ranks. You've got to understand that the spirit world knows more than you'll ever know in the flesh. I was speaking one time to a friend of mine, and he told me one day he was in the middle of a service on the platform. They had two center, they had a double door right in the center. And he said, one day, middle of service, guy walked through the back door, looked around. He did, a, he did one of those things that Catholics do. He didn't know what was going on. He grabbed the usher that was standing by the back, took the usher with him. A little bit later, usher comes through the back door, motions at this man. Come see. It's middle of service. He didn't know what was going on. So he makes his way off the side, had to go all the way around to the back. He said, I walked through the hall, 
He said, and I, I opened the door outside. And he said, I see the, this, this, the back of a lady and a man standing in front of her. He said, look like they're dancing like this. He said, I didn't know what was going on. He said, when I kept walking, I looked. She was trying to kill him. She was trying to strangle him. And he was trying to push her, keep her at bay. And he said, I, I thought, what in the world? This, what's going on right now? He said, so I, I try to separate all of them. Come to find out, this woman was possessed with a spirit of, of, of wanting to murder her husband and all kind of spirits. And that was her husband that he didn't know what else to do except try to find a church. So he calms this woman down. He brings her inside. And there's a little water fountain right there. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be graphic. And, but this is what happened. He said, I put my hand on her and on her shoulder. And I was going to say, you know, say in, in Jesus' name, you know. And he said, when I said it, she went plumb crazy. And she pulled her clothes off and forgot to put anything on underneath it. And right that time, a little kid walked out, and it just looked like one of the like a circus scene out there. And he told that kid, "You get back in that church." He knew we we got a fight on our hands with this lady. She was trying to climb the walls and went nuts. He walked her back outside. Long story short, got her calmed down. Told the husband, "I'll come see you tomorrow or within the next day or two." Husband wanted her, wanted him to come pray. So he went to the house and he brought somebody with him and walked in this house and there was all these little shrines with all these crosses and different things set up everywhere all through the house and come to find out they come from someplace overseas and you could feel the evil from it and so he started throwing them away and she's going nuts he starts throwing all this stuff away. She'd been trying to murder her husband, trying to harm herself. So he gets them all cleaned up. He says, there any more? Well, she took off running to the yard. She had some buried out there, hidden out in the yard. Gets all of them. So he started, once they got all the evil out, he started saying, rebuking and commanding the spirit to leave her. And she just starts going crazy, trying to scream and go. She runs in the closet, hides her, hides in the closet. And he's waiting out there by the closet. And he's commanding the spirit to come out of her. Now, never met this woman. I'm telling you how the spirit world works. This is not made up. And he's commanding the spirit to come out. And she looks at him and the spirit speaks. And said, I'll go because I have to. But when I leave, I'm going to, and started naming his kids that never met. And it startled him so bad that he had to go outside and sit in his car and gain his composure. Because the spirit world knows a lot more than what you'll ever know. But you got to remember... The enemy, the Bible says the enemy walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It never says he devours. He just tries to intimidate. And he got his composure and went back in there and cast that devil out of that woman. And to my knowledge, they're still living for God today. That's just, 
a glimpse into the spirit world, how the spirit world works. You have to have a spiritual maturity as, a, as an individual and as a church to recognize when things start happening that are abnormal, that the enemy is trying to push back. And just because things don't happen right away doesn't mean God's not hearing our prayer. He told, the, 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 the angel told Daniel, I heard your prayer the first time you prayed. But we met opposition in the spirit world. And I had to get Michael to come help fight that, that battle. But we're here. We prevail. Can I tell you, church, I believe as we move into new dimensions that we're going to see some things conquered that hasn't been conquered in a long time. I believe as we pray and as we fast that we're going to step into realms that we have never stepped in before. Stand with me all over the building. Signs of revival. Things are happening. You may not even realize things that are happening right now. People are being touched via our Facebook webcast that may never walk through this door, but seeds are being planted in their spirit. People are being affected that you may you don't even know are being affected all over Catahoula Parish. While we pray throughout this month at our 12-hour prayer on Saturdays, but also in your prayer time. Here's how I want you to pray. I want you to begin to bind every influence that is contrary to the will and the Word of God. Just begin to bind it. As, as, as things come to your mind, you bind it. You bind evil. You bind anything that is antichrist. And you loose the power and the influence of the Holy Ghost to work. This is how I pray. I said, Lord, I pray that the Spirit would walk places I can't walk and touch people I can't touch and go places I can't go. Sister Joyce, as you come, here's how I want us to close this service out this evening. I believe it would be in order and it would be right for us to kick off the month of June at this altar because this month is going to fly by. We don't have a lot of stuff on the calendar for a reason because I know it's the summer. But I want you to maintain your, in, your spiritual intensity. Because when we hit August, God's going to begin to take us places that we've never been before. I can't tell you how it's going to happen. And I can't tell you what's going to happen. But I do know that God is trying to bring us to dimensions that we've never walked in before. And there has to be a willingness on our part to say, Lord, I'm ready to go. I want to go to those places. Why don't we come and stand around this altar this evening? Why don't we come and just talk, spend a few moments talking to the Lord, saying, Lord, however you, however you got to get me closer to you, I want you to do it, Jesus.